0: Some motion pictures move you deeply, others not at all. Some pictures you love, some you hate. Here is one which is bound to catch you up in its different kind of love story. Eddie, you're a big talent. You're a real, real big talent. I used to read your column every day in the newspaper, and then when the newspaper folded, I missed it. Yeah, well, let's skip the build-up. get down to the main event. We've got no money, no tickets, no driver's license, no
1: fear it's ticklish business way anyway. you look at it come on we'll stick together it's ticklish business the podcast devoted to honoring and deconstructing classic movies as always i'm kristen here with kimberly and samantha it's a new year it You're is 2022 back. It seems a lot like 2021, uh, but, you know,
0: (laughs) everything old is new again. (laughs) It's like the same year. just That
1: phrase used to mean something, and I know TCM makes that a key focus of their marketing, but everything old being new again is not really as fun as it used to be, considering the last couple of years. I don't know about
0: you two. I'm done
1: personally.
2: (laughs) Time is merely a concept at this point. It's just all running together. Which is why we
1: do this podcast, as evidenced by that. But, of course, first new shiny episode of the new year, we are, of course, looking back at the last year, specifically the classic films that we discovered in 2021. This remains one of our most popular topics, which I always find fascinating. I think because people... Who want a nice crash course in classic films and or want to be able to say that they have like a deep cut, listen to us. I might be giving ourselves way too much credit, but I think that's why these ones remain so popular. I
2: don't know. I love doing these. I just have to say it's one of my favorite episodes that we do every year. And I think the thing that I love about it is you don't have to know a lot about classic movies to listen to these. You can listen to these episodes that we do every year and get really great recommendations. And even us, we introduce each other to films that we haven't heard before. I mean, Cry Havoc. Cry Havoc. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I, I always love these.
1: Spoiler alert. Cam. did you see Cry Havoc this year?
0: I have not seen that one, no. What, uh, well, the, then no. Nope, the it's... recommendation that jumped to my mind is one that'll come up. So. Unfortunately,
1: if you came to this episode hoping that there would be a three-peat of Cry Havoc, that's not happening this year. Maybe I in 2020. failed, everybody. I'm so sorry. I know, Kim. Come on.
0: Before we get into it, here is a short little ad for our Patreon. If you are a fan of old Hollywood, classic entertainment, and the joy of pop culture history in all its forms, please subscribe to our Patreon page like these wonderful people. Christine Meyer, Danny, David Floyd, Jacob Haller, MCF, and Rachel Kramarchuk. Our Patreon website is located at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. Be sure to take a look at our other channels as well. We're on Twitter at ticklish underscore biz, as well as YouTube and Instagram. Keep an eye out for lots of bonus content coming soon. Now, back to the show.
1: So let's get into our classic phone discoveries of 2022. I always love talking about criteria. For me, I had a couple simple rules that I gave myself. Either it had to be pre-1980, which tends to be what we usually are timeline, and or it had to be on TCM. So I know that it probably won't affect this list, but if you go over to our website, ticklishbiz.com, our new snazzy website, you can read my shortlist, which has a couple newer movies early 90s stuff that because it played on TCM I considered it as a discovery because TCM is where most of us discover our classic films so that was my criteria. And I just broke that
0: rule in a couple of months.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Kim what was your criteria?
0: Picking for this episode, and I abided your rules, I kind of went pre-1980 and wet myself in classic film mode. Picking this, I went through my Letterboxed, which is I think at 415 or something's watched for the year. and I only got through
1: 180, I think.
0: And I just thought about what movies I remembered. Those movie-going experiences that I remembered that affected me that... I knew I just wanted to talk about and wanted to people to hear more about. They might not all necessarily get like five stars, but dang it, I liked all three of these movies. And my bigger list, it's something similar. It's tracing my, everybody who knows me knows I go through my little phases with my actors and kind of my new discovery list is kind of tracing the year that was 2021 for Kim.
1: I know that if you look at my Letterbox, people might be surprised that I did not include certain things on here that I gave three and a half, four stars at the time. If I did not remember anything about what it was, I did not count it. Because if I have to talk about something, I'm not going to be great talking about stuff that I don't remember why I liked it. I just remember that I really did. So apologies to those movies that were not memorable enough in the future to be on this list. Samantha, what about you? What was your criteria? I
2: definitely agree with you both. It's funny because I had a couple of those experiences where I gave a movie four, four and a half stars and didn't remember it well enough to talk about it here. The Scarlet Pimpernel comes to mind. (laughs) I'm going to have to rewatch that one before I talk about it again. But I mean, I know you guys know I don't usually have an issue keeping it within the confines of (laughs) pre-1980. That's never been a problem for me. You might be surprised though. My number one just saying well that's a teaser for what's to come but honestly the same goes with both of you guys it's movies that made an impact on me and i was really surprised that a lot of these movies i gave like three and a half stars at the time but they really stayed in my consciousness and that's part of what i'm going to be talking about even though as i mentioned before we started all three of these movies are very depressing my top 10 won't be as depressing but my top three very much is
1: my top three is depressing it's certainly
0: questionable like i I said when we were talking before we started recording mine y'all are gonna get whiplash i have such a variety in tones it's not even oh
1: i was gonna say is it just three martin milner movies all rolled into one
0: These are surprisingly not Thirst. If you want Kim Thirst, the top 20 that's on the site now, that is the year in Thirst for Kim. So I I will say that.
1: Okay, so we're going to go from three to one. We will have time for honorable mentions as well as reading some of your amazing discoveries that you sought to share with us on Twitter. So let's start with our number threes. I'm going to start us off with Kim, because Kim is giggling right now, and I want to know why. What is your number three?
0: Okay, so my number three, I did do a video on it this year, so people, you might not be too, too surprised. As most people who were following know, I went through a good, bad movie stretch in this summer. Roger Corman is one of my top directors that I've... Stuff that I've watched for 2021, and this is a Roger Corman film, which... People are going, what, top three? Like I said, these are not exactly all stellar films or amazing films, but they made an impact. So I am talking, of course, about The Gunslinger, made in 1956. It is a Roger Corman Western, which I watched because I hang my head to admit listeners, William Shallert was one of my top viewed actors for 2021. And yes, I watched this film for him. He's in it for two minutes. So if you are like me, don't necessarily take that plunge. But this movie was an absolute joy, I found. It follows Beverly Garland as a woman whose sheriff husband is murdered in the Old West, and she picks up his guns and she decides to take over and run the town herself as sheriff. And I could not think of many movies like this. And if you've watched Beverly Garland films before, she is fierce and delightful. And I was truly stunned as I sat down to watch this film because I was expecting 1950s schlocky terribleness because it features Beverly Garland opposite Alison Hayes as a spunky Miss Kitty like tavern owner who happens if. Likely is a brothel. I mean, what are we saying? And these two ladies do, you know, old West battle, but they are delightful. There's, it gets surprisingly non male gazy. There might be one wrestling on the floor scene, but this is a solid low budget Western shot for cheap, of course. This is a very early Roger Corman. But the performances, the plot, just the fact that it had such amazing women in this low-budget 1956 Western really blew me away. And it struck me enough that I had to write a video about it, even though William Shalert was in it for a grand total of about a minute and a half, two minutes. So that is why it is my number three.
1: Moving on to Miss Samantha. Samantha, where do we go from here? You said that all of yours are depressing, so bring us down. What was your number three for this year?
2: We jumped from Roger Corman to Silent Anime Wong. And <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, there's always uh, a
1: natural progression from Roger Corman to Anime Wong. I mean,
2: not only that, but I mean, I've seen quite a few Anime Wong films this year. I was actually very surprised. I saw Piccadilly also for the first time, and I rewatched a couple of others of hers that I already had seen and loved. But for the first time this year, I watched The Toll of the Sea, which it goes without saying, I've said this before, that Anime Wong is my favorite silent film star, period. I just love her. She, it goes without saying, like she was incredibly underrated and not appreciated nearly enough for her time. But The Toll of the Sea, it's really the first successful two-strip Technicolor Hollywood feature, and she's the lead, which is just a feat in and of itself but she really carries this film on her back. It gave me a lot of original Hans Christian Andersen Little Mermaid vibes as far as the plot. I mean, it's about a woman who, she sort of marries this white man and he deserts her and acts like they were never married at all. And she has his child. And it's just, you're weeping the entire time. There's not a dry moment. And it's about... An hour just over so just everything from the gorgeous gorgeous two strip technicolor to the just moving wording of the title cards her performance particularly she again she carries the film there's like no one to even look at aside from her it's just all, the anime wong show which is how it should have been and it's fantastic i can't say enough good things about it
1: that is amazing if you at the Academy Museum here in Los Angeles, I think in November, they did a whole Anime Wong retrospective with our former guest, Nancy Wong-Yoon, who did our Anime Wong episode. And supposedly we got a shout out during that, I guess, from the director of the Academy Museum, who Whoa. recommended our Anime Wong episode, which is That's insane incredible. to me. That's incredible. That makes me so, so It all comes back to us but no, I need to see more anime Wong. That's one of many goals that I have film
2: wise this year. So I'm glad. The one that I always recommend to people is When Were You Born, where she plays an astrologist slash detective. And again, she carries that film, but this one just ripped my heart out and stomped on it. Like there's no other way to put it. And I couldn't, if you're looking for an anime Wong movie where she actually has something to sink her teeth into and plays the lead, this is the one for sure.
1: This is the cry havoc of 2020. It
2: is.
0: <laughs> it's good to know, because I'm painfully interviewed on her, I have to admit. And that's one, one of those that I need to get remedied ASAP.
2: It goes by so fast too, even though it's as sad as it is. It, 10 out of 10, recommend. My one and my two were
1: very easy for me to think of. I knew exactly what they were from the minute we started talking about this episode at the end of last year. My three, though, there were at least 15 options that I could have had where I liked all of them. I would love to talk about them. They'll all be on my shortlist on the website, but I needed to pick one to talk about. And... There's not really necessarily a theme to my list. Eh, maybe it's thirst. Actually, yeah, no, it's probably a lot of thirst. But my number three is from 1954 and it is the George Cukor-directed Beauty Holiday starring It Should Happen to You. Samantha's excited. <laughs> I love that
2: movie not so surprised. much. So was, much.
1: I don't know how I ended up watching Two Judy Holiday movies in a year. I don't know if TCM. I don't remember if TCM maybe did something with her or not. But this was hey, one of damn, two Judy Holiday movies that I saw, including *The Marion Kind*, which is on my short list, which is also a fantastic film. Very different film than this. Still smarting after being the Ricardos, finding a way to shade Judy Holiday inaccurately of all things. I, I feel like I need to give Judy a little love in my number three. So this is a film. As I mentioned directed by George Cooper, with a Garson Canaan script, who I think Garson Canaan did a lot of great work. He also did Born Yesterday, Memory Serves, which is another great Judy Holliday film. But this film is Judy Holiday plays a woman named Gladys Glover who has just been fired from a job. And she feels that she has not made anything of herself after moving to New York. And she wants to, she was already hoping that by this point she'd have done something with her life. And she has not. So, While strolling through Central Park, she meets a man named Pete, played by Jack Lemmon, and she tells him that she has decided that she wants to follow her dreams, he encourages her, and she finds this billboard on Columbus Circle and decides that she wants to finally make something of herself by putting her name on the billboard. And she buys a couple billboards throughout New York City. And they all just say Gladys Glover and people start to wonder who Gladys Glover is. Is she a brand? Is she a, I mean, it's really just 1954 version of social media marketing, essentially, where the mystery of who it is, is what makes it so compelling. And it ends up changing her life in very convoluted ways It puts her at odds with the relationship that she has with Jack Lemmon's character. It brings in an ad guy who kind of wants to exploit her, but is also interested in her, played by 1950s Peter Lawford, which, of course, was kind of my thing when I decided to watch this. There was a couple Peter Lawford movies ended up on my short list. But I just I love this movie because I think Cutie Holiday, I know a lot of people think of her as Born Yesterday. But I think that she really did become that female equivalent of Marlon Brando. The actors that were making authentic films, films that felt like, you know, real situations from real people. And this is a great little slice of life movie about a woman who just wants to feel seen and recognized. And oh my God, I wonder why I picked this movie because it feels like it has a lot of commonalities with my life. So I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a darling film. Samantha, you've seen it. What do you think of it?
2: One thing that I didn't hear you touch on quite as much is the fact that it introduces Jack Lemon. Like, yes. holy crap. It's just so bizarre to watch that movie and see introducing Jack Lemon. <laughs> and Judy Holiday is fantastic. She's just as great in this as she is in Born Yesterday, in my opinion. But their chemistry together, and just as you said, the realism of it, but also it's so cute. It's cute and realistic. I think it kind of has that little bit of a battle within it. You know, Gladys Glover is so idealistic and out of this world, and Jack Lemon is so, like, grounded. That they bounce off of each other perfectly. It's a favorite of mine, honestly. It's Lawford
1: plays a cad, which is great for me. So,
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes,
2: I I mean, you know how much we both love Peter Lawford. So, that's another reason for us to love this film.
0: Times three. I have not watched (laughs) this one in years, but when I watched it, it was for Mr. Lawford. I still remember the cover, him sitting in this car in his 1950s esque glory. I will freely admit, I have had to grow into Judy Holliday a bit. She was one who I did not quite understand, didn't get. I've watched a couple of her films this year, and it's like the clouds have parted to what everybody has seen. And it was just for some reason in my teen years or whatever when I tried it. Just her humor didn't speak to me, but watching her in my 30s as a grown lady, I'm like, okay, yes, I bow to that genius and I need to definitely see more because there are a few films that I kind of go, eh, because I watched them as a 13-year-old who didn't get it. This was one of those where I I was a 13-year-old who watched it for Peter Lawford Thirst and No Other Reason.
1: Peter Lawford Hive, 2022, Mm -hmm. just saying. Kimberly, what is your number two?
0: Like I said, Whiplash is the tone of this year. So I'm going a little darker with my number two pick, Brighton Rock. I kind of dove into a UK film phase after our Hayley Mills interview this September and tried to hit a lot of the blind spots. And I won't lie. reading her book and talking to her and hearing Richard Attenborough talked about as Dickie just made me want to watch more Richard Attenborough films because Sir Richard Attenborough as Dickie Attenborough was something that blew my little mind. And Brighton Rock is a 1948 film noir directed by John Bolting. It follows Richard Attenborough as a baby-faced, adorable, vicious, psychopathic from a sociopathic gangster named Pinky who is in the town of Brighton and he's just going through steps to try and cover up a murder that he has committed. And this movie fully and completely is about that Richard Attenborough performance. And as somebody who has really only seen him older, from really, you know, the great escape to my introduction to his work, which was Jurassic Park, you know, back when I was a tyke. To see him in this role was just such a visceral, fascinating experience because it's so well crafted because he's a truly terrible, horrible, heinous individual, but yet he looks about 15. And he is absolutely adorable. You just want to walk up to him and pinch his little cheeks, but this is the the noirest of noir. And you got to stoop. It's not a fun watch. It's not a pleasant watch, but by golly, if you've liked noir, this is definitely one to take advantage of. It's one of the best, not even international one of the best noirs I can recall seeing it definitely put itself right squarely on my list on the basis of that performance and then Doctor Who fans William Hartnell known to Doctor Who fans as the first doctor is also in it as well and gives a very William Hartnell performance and if you've seen Doctor Who you'll know what I'm saying and it was might have been a little distracting because I kept going Doctor Who but it's just such a great film
1: you're saying sounds at this point
0: (laughs) (laughs) That one is, I believe that's widely available. So I would definitely, noir fans, check it out.
2: Exactly. That's definitely one I want to check out now too, because just like you, I've pretty much only I've only seen Richard Attenborough in Jurassic Park. I knew that he had work that early on that I've wanted to see, but I just didn't know what. So now I've got something I appreciate. Definitely it. jump in that one now.
1: Samantha, what about you? What is your number two? All
2: right, so I'm keeping with the theme of depressing, but my top three span quite a long range of years. I'm starting in 1922, and now I'm in 1956 with "The Harder They Fall," directed by Mark Robson, and it's notably Humphrey Bogart's last film. It also has my two particularly favorite other performances are Rod Steiger and Nehemiah Persoff, who is still with us. I always love when there's a supporting actor or a really notable actor who just, Nehemiah specifically gives out great performance after great performance. He's most notable in like some like It Hot. He plays a mobster in that, but he's what, 101 now? And every time I see him in something, it just makes me so happy. And this is one of those films, but it's a boxing movie, which might not be up my alley on paper, but I was just, absolutely glued to my seat during the entirety of this film. I've seen a lot of Humphrey Bogart movies at this point. I want to say at least like 20. And I hadn't seen his last one, but he's just so good in it. He's good in everything. But this movie is just so powerful. And it really shows the corruption and the greed of the boxing world and really just puts a spotlight on it. And it's just fascinating to me. He and Rod Steiger, even though they didn't like each other while filming, really bounced off of each other while making it. And you can just see the fireworks in every scene. And there's one in particular where this boxer who's been completely exploited without his knowledge this entire time, you know, they read out the facts and figures. After basically killing himself in the ring, he gets pennies on the dollar compared to the millions that everybody around it makes. And it just, I like broke down in sobs. And yeah, this movie, the only issue I had with it was the ending. I think it should have been a little longer, which I don't usually say when it comes to films. And it doesn't have quite the closure that you want, but other than that, it's just perfect.
0: Well, that cast, I mean, I can hear depressing already With if it's Humphrey Bogart's last film and Rod Steiger, but I can also see what those performances must have been like. That just sounds dynamic and hard-hitting and visceral and
2: good. Absolutely. I I couldn't take my eyes away for a minute. It was such a good swan song for Bogart, I think. It's not one that people talk about as much, I don't feel like. but I I think think I've heard of it. Exactly. I feel like it should be right up there among some of his best. I would say this is at least a top 10, if not top 5, Bogart film for me, which is saying a lot. That's high praise for somebody like him.
1: My number two, kind of going off of what Samantha said in terms of time span. I mean, I am firmly in the 50s until I take a big slam into a more contemporary era. But in thinking back on some of the other movies that I've probably included in past lists, my two and my one, again, feel like I've come up with the same logic, at least consistently throughout the last couple of years of doing these episodes. So I'm pretty sure last year, Somebody can tell me if it was last year or the year before. Time has no meaning these days. But I'm pretty sure I had a Martin Ritt-directed, Paul Newman-starring film on my top three. It was Long Hot Summer. Did I have Long Hot Summer last year? I, I, thought,
0: your, I thought your Paul Newman phase might have started last year. So I'm not sp- certain, but I'd be willing to bet. Because I saw Long
1: Hot Summer last, last. the year before, so it would be on the, the 2021 list. I'm almost positive I included that on there. If so I somebody remember can correctly, listen. yeah you had sweet bird of youth i think and then mentioned long hot summer maybe i don't know somebody can tell me where long hot summer ended up on that list uh, leave it for me in our comments somewhere but this time there will be no doubt about it there is going to be a martin ritt directed paul newman starring movie on my list it's my number two it is from 19 it's from 1961 oh wow i really have one from all three eras i have a 15 okay that's Okay, consistency. It is Paris Blues. I have heard people say Paris Blues is the weakest of the Martin Ritt, Paul Newman films. And I would say that those people are wrong. As much as I love The Long Hot Summer, Long Hot Summer has all my favorite things, including... Tony Franciosa but Paris Blues I feel is right up there with The Long Hot Summer so if you disagree with me again leave us a comment tell me that I'm not but Paris Blues features Paul Newman as a man with a name his name is Ramboan, which just sounds dirty <laughs> I love that and he is a musician in a jazz band in Paris along with his friend Eddie played by Sidney Poitier And where Eddie is content with the way of life that they have in Paris, Ram wants to be a great musician, and he cannot do that, even though he has a good friend, Wild Man Moore, played by Louis Armstrong, in his back pocket. And things take a turn when two American women, Lillian and Connie, played by Joanne Woodward and Diane Carroll, respectively, show up in Paris and make both of the men question their life choices. There's something about when Paul Newman, Joanne Woodward, and Martin Rick got together to make movies that the weirdest plot can just become the best and also the horniest movie that you've probably ever watched. This is a movie that includes heroin addiction at one point because Ram's colleague, who is also a performer, is uh, addicted to heroin and is trying to get off of it, but he can't. So this is a movie that has some really heavy stuff happening. And at the same time, there is just something about watching Paul Newman and Joan Woodward be hot for each other. That is just amazing. Where the long hot summer was them being antagonists turned lovers. This is them playing lovers where their issues are not as grandiose. So, you know, Lillian is a woman that has a, a small child. She wants a man that she loves and is definitely thirsty for But at the same time, she, there's something bigger than her waiting for her back at home. She can't be on permanent vacation. And that is what causes problems. But I think the more fascinating plot line is that of Eddie and Connie, played by Sydney Poitier and Diane Carroll. Because this was pretty much still taboo at the time to have this interracial element to it. And they make a point of saying at several points in the movie that Paris is where Eddie is not a black man. He is a man because Paris is more progressive with their racial dynamics. I read somewhere that the original plot of this movie, I mean, there's only so much progression you can do in the 1960s, but originally the plot of the movie was going to have the Joanne Woodward character and the Sydney Poitier character be together and Diane Carroll and Paul Newman be together, but supposedly that was considered way too taboo. They had to color swap the actors, which I think is pretty stupid because Paul Newman is beautiful. Diane Carroll's beautiful. Everybody's beautiful in this movie. And they all have chemistry with each other. There's like one moment where Ram is hitting on Connie on a train and it's just like, oh, dude, calm down because there is just way too much bursting off this screen maybe okay it had to do with racism but maybe also there was this awareness that there's just too much hotness going on right now if we were to have Diane Carroll and Paul Newman get together there'd be anarchy in the streets I don't know (laughs) Uh, oh
0: that Joanne Woodward Paul Newman chemistry is so hot though it is those two are so hot for each other on so many levels
1: and Paul Newman is just he's firing on all cylinders because of course he is but whether it's being this frazzled musician or just being a big man baby who doesn't really know what he wants to do with his life, but he knows he doesn't want to do what he's doing. But also there's this woman that's asking him to be an adult and he doesn't really want to do that either. I mean, it's frustrating, but at the same time, you're like, yeah, that's the problem though. Paul Newman is playing every hot guy that you're like I want him but also this is why I don't want him because he can't get his stuff together it's just nuts it's
2: I feel authentic. like you can say that about all Paul Newman movies
1: <laughs> Exactly Paul Newman was really I don't go so far as to call him the first himbo but he certainly was the beautiful man that made you realize why you probably shouldn't want the beautiful man because the expectations and the stuff you have to deal with with him. Like, he's really showing up that, like, pretty guys come with a lot of baggage and a lot of BS. And you're like, really, do you want to deal with it? Yes. Yes, you do. Because it's Paul Newman. I mean, come on. So, and Sidney Poitier is no sludge either. I mean, where Paul Newman's character is a lot of, like, the sexuality of the movie, Sidney Poitier comes in and he's just so romantic and level-headed. Again, he's the guy where you're like, see, this is what a man looks like. He knows what he wants. He's trying to move forward. Like, he has a whole bigger problem than whether he can, you know, be a top musician. He just wants to be accepted as a man in society. And in America, he can't do that. It's just such a good movie. I literally watched this. I don't know if they showed this because Diane Carroll passed away in 2021 or 2020 or what they were doing it for, but I immediately turned around and bought this on disc and I own it. And I am so happy that I own it because it is so brilliant. I love the long hot summer, but this is easily up there as well uh, as one of my favorite Paul Newman movies. So
0: did anyone have a monopoly quite like Paul Newman and playing big, irresponsible, gorgeous man babies?
1: (laughs) I (laughs) mean, Orlando played a couple of man babies. Couple. Monty Clift, uh-huh. I mean, I think of like the heiress, but I mean, that's kind of man baby.
2: A Place in the Sun.
1: Little oh, bit.
0: Yeah. oh, true. Okay. True. Yeah. True. So
2: yeah, I think, think, think Monty
1: <laughs> did the groundwork for the big man baby, <laughs> but
0: then Paul Newman like made it classy. Where Monty made him walk, Paul Newman made the man baby
2: run.
1: Monty walked so Paul Newman could run, yes.
2: I think <laughs> just all the method actors we can put into this himbo category. <laughs> we could just do a whole James, episode. Future you episode. Himbo. Oh my gosh, we should. But <laughs> the method and the himbo. But no, Paris Blues is one of those that has really slipped through the cracks for me. Because I love, love, love Sidney Poitier and Diane Carroll, and Paul Newman, and Joanne Woodward, all so much. It's like a crime that I haven't seen this. For some reason, I thought it would be boring. I don't know. It's just one of those, I've got to fix it, because it's like one of the few that I'm missing from them.
0: I'm having to sit here and write down all the recommendations, because of all the films here, I've only really seen the one, and it was, you know, Kristen's number three, and it was years ago. So I, I have not seen Paris Blues either. So that is a must remedy, especially with Paul Newman being Paul Newman, and the fact that I understand everything that that man brings on a physical level.
1: I would say, before somebody inevitably asks me where I would put this alongside the other Martin Ritt Paul Newman movie, which I did not mention, which is HUD. I mean, HUD is a completely different animal because it's so dour and cynical, and oh, it's great too. But I definitely see, like, HUD is still number one. HUD is the best. But this is definitely a solid two for me. I mean, I love the Long Hot Summer. Again, the Franciosa of it is great as well. But I don't know, I think Paris Blues just feels more mature in a way. So, yeah, this is definitely up there. HUD is still great, but I feel like Paris Blues is definitely a solid number two.
2: The Long Hot Summer is easily top three if not my favorite Paul Newman movies so hearing two movies no. that I haven't seen that are ranked above that I need oh. to like run oh you
1: go. have to see Hud, HUD I is know so Melvin wonderful. Douglas too I love him so much and Sweeper of Youth have you seen Sweeper of Youth I haven't Sweeper of Youth again if you want to see him play a himbo I mean he's playing a gigolo. I mean, he's pretty much a <laughs> like meaty <gigolo> or <laughs> um, like, de- no, he's definitely like selling. He's a sex worker. Okay, oh he's definitely gosh. a sex worker, and it's great. Again, it's great because he has no compunction with being like, yeah. I'm definitely a sex worker, deal with it.
0: So it's so good. It's saying something that in our sexy movie list, I think Paul Newman was the number one represented actor of like everything. I think we got Paul Newman on there four or five times in what, 20 and before someone films.
1: inevitably makes me eat crow about, oh, Kristen, remember the days when you didn't get Paul Newman? Yeah, I know, I was an idiot. So <laughs> I'm willing to admit that on the record right now, Kristen from three years ago <laughs> years, was a big
2: dumb idiot. So we're all here Complain. admitting our mistakes and growing and learning. Yes, all you what it's have about. to say for me was Sydney Poitier, and I'm in. I am, it, yes. it is a goal of mine in life to complete his filmography. Probably one
1: day I will. If you watch it knowing, and this is not talking out of school, this is true facts. Diane Carroll and him had a years long relationship decades long affair. And supposedly, like, he would not marry her. And they were together for a long time. And just watching their interactions in this movie and knowing that they were going to have a very torrid romance off screen, it just, oh, it intensifies everything. I just want to watch it again now.
2: I'm amazed that he didn't star opposite her more often because I feel like they would bounce off of each other really well. I actually got to meet Diane before she passed and she was an incredible lady. She talked all about how (laughs) we're getting way off subject here. But she told the most incredible story about how when Marlon Brando met her, he asked her out and she turned him down because she had someone she was already sort of seeing on the side. And when she turned to walk away, he smacked her behind and she turned around and slapped him. (laughs) And it made him more interesting. I mean, she was just uh, I need to see more of her, too. So that's going on my list.
0: Those two weren't paired more because they would have been too pretty together. Too hot. My, I mean, my no, glasses really are steaming perfect. up. They're just too <laughs> hot together.
1: Okay, so enough talking about Paris Blues. Before we get to our number ones, we did ask on Twitter to have you tell us what your favorite movies of the past year were. What were the movies you discovered? We got quite a response, so we're going to share those right now. Melissa Skillens at Melissa Skillens said, I've discovered a love for film noir during the pandemic and have been catching up with classics thanks to TCM and Eddie Muller. I saw Nightmare Alley, the original, for the first time, and I love dark psychological films set in the Carney universe. I can't wait to see the new film version. Well, Melissa, not to show for our episode on Nightmare Alley where we are talking about the original as well as the new version. Should consider checking that out. Our next one comes from Christiane Young at Chris Opera One. Out of the Blue from 1947, a genuinely funny farce with terrific performances by George Brent and Borak, Turhan Bey and Virginia Mayo. I'd never even heard of it before, and was pleasantly surprised by how good it was. Christiane, you are onto something because it is not in this list, unfortunately, but it is in my short list. Out of the Blue, which is, as she mentioned a really weird, funny little movie that goes all sorts of different ways. You want to talk about genre mashup. It's a movie that starts out as a rom-com, turns into a murder mystery, turns into a noir. It is great. So I'm glad you enjoyed it as well. From Bobby Rivers at Bobby Rivers TV, La Ultra, starring Dolores Del Rio, a late 1940s Mexican film remade in the early 60s as Dead Ringer. With Betty Davis and Carl Malden, There were a couple people that also praised La Otra starring Dolores Del Rio. And all I can think about is Lupe Velez making fun of Dolores Del Rio and High Flyers. So <laughs> I have not seen nearly enough Spanish classic film and I really want to. Our next one comes from Mr. Paul Muni at Mr. Paul Muni 1. So many. Among them The Third Man, City Lights, and Gaslight. All good ones. Cinema60 at Cinema60Podcast said Pressure Point from 1962 and 1966, The Roundup, were real standouts for us. Sean Hall at ED Cinephile wrote, thanks to suggestions from the podcast, The Killers and Dracula's Daughter. Yay! Other new faves include Battle of Algiers, A Raisin in the Sun, more Sidney Poitier, The Mark of Zorro from 1920, Love Me Tonight, and The Story of Temple Drake. From our friend Kenny Miles at the Kenny Miles, he said, "I enjoyed Kimberly's recommendation of Boys Night Out. Yes, um, some of my picks that start with the letter B also include Best Years of Our Lives, Bad Day at Black Rock, That is a great one. Brute Force, Black Legion, and Bullet Magic Boy from 1959 is my most obscure discovery. From Ellen Bieber, The Lady Eve. I don't know that Barbara Stanwyck was ever better. That movie is amazing." Barbara Stanwyck. That, talk about it again. A hot pairing of people. I mean, Henry Fonda and, and Bab Stanwyck. It's if Pete Henry
0: Fonda there. I will watch baby Henry Fonda. If you
1: Fonda are a fan of their pairings, Ellen, you have not seen the Mad Miss Mansion. You should, because it's amazing. It's adorable. Libby Morse at Morse Libby wrote everything with Charles McGraw, everything by Phil Carlson, The Killing, The Lusty Men, The Black Book, Cast a Dark Shadow, and The Wolf Man. It's a noir and I'll fight anyone who says otherwise. Almost forgot lots of great French films, but the two most revelatory, The Young Girls of Rochford and Playtime. And Peter Bryant at PM Bryant said, Pride of the Marines, John Garfield. Yay. Pride of the Marines is not the best John Garfield, but it's a good one.
2: One of the few old Hollywood movies to be filmed in and around Philly. So I have to give it Oh, okay.
1: The Big Street from 1942 with Lucio Ball. Yay.
2: I discovered that one too. I loved it. I still need to watch that. It's uh, fantastic. It's Lucy at her dramatic best. Ooh, and Ringside Maisie from
1: 1941 have been my top discoveries this year. And finally, from Kayla Ewing at KLR622, Mrs. Miniver, Once a Thief, The China Syndrome, Clue, oh, the, the bar, that's a Jane Fonda double feature. To be clue, proud of yay. Name. All the President's Men, because you got to love Robert Redford, The Parallax View, I Want to Live, and Hold Back the Dawn. To name a few.
0: I have to give a standing ovation to the uh, Alan J. Pakula 3 in that. Yes, I
1: was going to say, someone went through some Pakula and some paranoid 70s thrillers right there. <laughs> so let's get into our number ones. Kim, what is the movie that you were so happy you discovered in the year 2020.
0: This is a movie I should have came to a long, long time ago because it spoke to me. I felt seen so much about this movie. It was very me. I'm going a bit newer than we're used to, but I am still within our year range. So this is 1978's I Wanna Hold Your Hand was my number one for the year. This is a story of Three young women in 1964, February, who decide they're going to leave their nice, comfy homes in New Jersey to go stalk the Beatles when they arrive in New York. The whole movie is essentially Beatles fan fiction, but it was so, so, so delightful. This is Beatlemania, the movie contemporary film people, you'd probably recognize that it. it was Robert Zemeckis' first film. That's what he kind of came on the scene with. What I was blown away with, because I kind of I stayed away with from it, I was kind of nervous, but I dove into kind of a 70s and 80s phase towards the end of the year that I am still in. And this movie demonstrated how many women in the 70s and 80s who were doing good comedy and were just solid performers that we don't really see anymore because Hollywood is terrible and had no idea how to use them. Thinking of the performances by Nancy Allen in here, Wendy Jo Sperber, who I've recently came to her work beyond Back to the Future, and she's an absolute joy, and I love her, and I see myself in her, and there's so much in just being a girl. In this film, you know, as a third grader who came to the Beatles with the Beatles anthology in 1995 and did the Beatlemania thing so hard, my parents wanted to put me up for adoption. I saw just being a young woman, the love, the being in lust, the wanting to be seen as a grown up. There's just so much here that really struck a chord for me and brought it home. And I should have watched this movie when I was 10, because I could have gotten so much out of it. It was definitely a personal favorite of mine. And it really shaped the close of 2021 for me.
1: I haven't seen that one, but it sounds like something I would be into.
0: It's cute. It's incredibly cute.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Samantha, what was the movie that you fell in love with in 2021?
2: All right, I am ready for some Jaws to be on the floor. It is well known within ticklish business, I think, that I still have not seen The Godfather, any of The Godfather movies. That is not what I fixed this year. (laughs) I still need to see The Godfather.
1: I have not seen Godfather 2, which I've been told is the best movie of all time. What? I'm sorry, I haven't (laughs) seen it (laughs) long. Okay, I'm gonna reread the book though and watch the first one again. So you know, there's that. So that being said,
2: (laughs) I did discover some very important and influential 70s films this year, one of which was A Clockwork Orange, that's not on my list. And I haven't seen any Al Pacino, but I fixed that this year. And my number one is Dog Day Afternoon from 1970. Dog Day Afternoon is so good. I know. As someone who basically enjoys nothing but 1930s romantic comedies, putting Dog Day Afternoon as my number one is a big feat.
1: This is a big feat on so many levels. One, the fact mm-hmm. that it is a 1970s movie. And two, it is
2: the most Depressing, like nihilistic, 70s movie. My 2021 list, my top three is depressing. But talk about powerful films. I mean, this movie just blew me away. It's absolutely genius what Al Pacino does on screen in this film it's action-packed, it's so suspenseful, it's gripping, it has a lot to say, and it, it was just so ahead of its time, which is kind of weird to say for a 1970s movie, which is, you know, kind of outside of my realm, but I feel like he was just doing things on screen and saying things on screen that I would imagine, like, this is a weird one to compare to, but, like, Heath Ledger in the 2000s, I could see doing something like this, not... Al Pacino in the 70s. You know what I mean? It's definitely jarring for me. It's not what I'm used to, but I was so into it. It's just beginning to end, again, glued to the screen. It made such an impact on me. I'm not jumping into watching 70s movies or watching Al Pacino, but I feel like this was a fantastic one to start with.
1: Such a movie that is indicative of the 1970s the powder keg that it was it really is almost the decade of microcosm but I can see why this is Oscar Isaac's favorite movie fun fact this is his favorite movie as I've, I've had discovered but it's so good I, I mean John Kazale as well who's in yes. that is only made yeah, three movies lot of in, his, in his life and is really good but I know that when I was working for a site and we were talking about greatest performances of all time I wrote that Chris Sarandon was probably one of the greatest performances that I loved, at least. It's a very dated portrayal of trans life. Very, very dated. But at the time, it was considered very revolutionary to have a character like that one who was not a joke and presented in a mocking manner. So I think that movie is just perfect.
2: I agree. I feel like there are so many aspects of this film that were revolutionary, just the violence, the subject matter, all of it. It's something that I would not have expected in a film from 1975, but I really appreciated it.
0: I mean, I have to echo John Cazale. I mean, Godfather, Godfather Two, The Conversation, Dog Day Afternoon, Deer Hunter, and then we lost him at the age of 42. He was a brilliant, truly, truly brilliant performer at four films and each one of those. I don't know if he was, but he should have been Oscar nominated for each one. He was such a brilliant contributor, such an incredibly sensitive actor, and yeah, such a tragedy that we lost him at the age we did.
1: Not nominated for an Oscar, in case you were
0: curious. So,
1: should have been, very, dang it. Yeah,
2: That's crazy.
1: But it is interesting that Samantha picked a movie from 1975 as her number one, because my movie... Ooh. From this year, my discovery is also from 1975. So if you, oh I, I kind of telegraphed this a mile away. If you looked at my Facebook banner, if you looked at my Twitter banner, you probably knew what the movie I was going to pick, the movie that has dominated my life, the movie that much like Out of the Fog, starring John Garfield, I have made every single member of my family sit and watch, whether they have wanted to or not. I made Kim watch this when she came to mm-hmm. visit last year along with the other movie that was the team up between the two people that i'm going to bring up i would like to shout out first and foremost millie decherico who single-handedly ruined my life the last year by putting this as part of tcm underground millie you are listening this is all your fault but thank you so my number one classic film discovery of 2021 is from 1975 it's directed by ken russell and it is Listomania. If you're saying what the hell is Listomania, let me tell you what Listomania is. So Listomania is directed by Ken Russell. This is the movie he made after he made the Who film Tommy, which I have watched back to back with this movie. And ooh, we are definitely
0: making some. That was music. that was a experience.
1: The best night of your life, wasn't it? It was great. It was great watching both of them back to back. But this is Ken Russell's interpretation of the life of classical film composer Franz Liszt. Who he decided to cast with Who Frontman Roger Daltrey, aka the man that I'm traveling back in time to marry? It is utterly bonkers. This is a movie that defies explanation. And I have seen Ken Russell's Valentino movie, which you can read the review on ticklishbiz.com. But it's essentially saying, what if Franz Liszt, the great composer, was essentially the first rock star. And by that, we mean that we're going to start this movie by having Roger Daltrey in a loincloth with a naked woman sword fighting with a lot of phallic objects in a very cold, drafty room.
0: So many phalluses. So So many many phalluses.
1: And so we get to just see Roger Daltrey be enigmatic, gorgeous as hell, Wearing really great coats, engaging in a lot of hedonism. And it is utterly insane, but I loved every crazy second of it, whether that is the extended flashback to Franz Liszt meeting his mistress wife set to essentially a recreation of a Charlie Chaplin movie. The extended who's afraid of Virginia Woolf argument where they're just throwing a lot of crass words at each other, but it's just so catty and petty and they're all wearing amazing costumes and they're all half naked. This movie, Ken Russell is one of those who apparently really loves to objectify his men because the camera just really enjoys being like, let's put Roger Daldry in tight pants and a lot of no shirts for no discernible reason. Let's just have him putting clothes on for no discernible reason. He's got a kooky daughter who has a little mini Roger Daltrey that she calls Little Daddy, and she is trying to, like, kill him with it. And then that's before the whole third act happens, which involves a rival composer, Richard Wagner, played by Paul Nicholas, who essentially, Ken Russell was saying, is the reason that the Nazis came into power. And there's this weird third act involving like a literal Superman it gets really really weird and esoteric Ringo Starr plays the Pope it is just bananas and I freaking loved it I turned around I bought this movie I bought Tommy I own them all and Roger Daltrey and this movie have dominated my life since whatever month Millie Decherico decided to show this so TCM tip of the hat to you for giving me my favorite movie of all time.
0: Our Tommy Listomania double feature. so many great coats, so many Roger Daltrey chests, so many tight pants and so many so many comments, phallic symbols
1: <laughs> we just, okay I mean I kind of buried the lead here this is a movie where Roger Daltrey is dancing on a 12-foot phallus I'm not even kidding he's like riding on it and in a <laughs> fun fact in his biography he talks about how he kept it put it in his backyard until his neighbors complained <laughs> and I tip my hat to him as well like good for you guy the movie was not a success. Unfortunately, he doesn't really devote much of it to his uh, in his autobiography to it because it made no money. And unfortunately, it like ended the partnership between him and Ken Russell, which is upsetting to me because I would have loved more totally weird movies starring him. It was just amazing. I had so much fun with this movie. I might watch this movie after we're done.
0: It's artistic um, as all get out. I mean, is it
1: artistic or is it really trashy? Well, it's Not really reading is artistic. It's really <laughs>
0: trashy, but it looks so good good i mean those set design those costumes it is just a rich visual feast (laughs) that's even more than roger daltrey i mean there's just so much
1: if you watch tommy and you were like you know i feel like this movie's good but it needs way more like why is roger daltrey not like a rock star this is bad if If you watch tommy Tommy, and and want less
0: townsend you want this
1: one and he's he's deaf and he's dumb like that's all cool and all, but, like, I really just want him to be Roger Daltrey, but, like, in ye olden times. This will cure what ills you. It is a movie that defies description, and yet I have tried so hard to describe it. Hopefully, some weirdo out there who thinks like me will watch it and be like, you know what? This is on something.
2: That movie sounds fake. Like, I, I, I don't <laughs> believe you. It I don't very, believe that exists.
1: It is very, very real, and it was made... By the guy who did the devil. So oh, that just sounds out.
2: like someone smoked a little too much, if you know what I'm saying. And was it was kind of felt, so they were <laughs> it started I mean, writing. I feel like that's someone's mental description of a movie that they would want to see, not an actual movie that exists.
1: I think Roger Dalton would agree that's why the movie made no money.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so many
0: fallacies. So, so, it's so many fallacies.
1: Have, have a plot. Like, if Tommy has a plot, like, you can describe what what Tommy is about, okay? You cannot describe what Listomania is about, which yeah. I was fine with that. That it's, was
0: my number one. I have to say, I, I will have to describe it like this way. If you watch Tommy... And you said to yourself, I want more Roger Daltrey, but less Peter Townsend and less Ollie Reed. Watch this one. It checks all those boxes.
1: It's like if you wanted a movie where you're like, why isn't Ollie Reed in this? And he is in this. Let's just say he has a very memorable cameo in this movie. But you're like, why is this a movie that's not starring Ollie Reed? But I don't want to look at Ollie Reed. This is like the fancy restaurant where they give you food, like really small portions and it's made with really weird things. But they're like, don't worry. It's great. <laughs> it's, it's that. It's that filmic equivalent. So List of Mania, Millie Decherico, I love you. Thank you for this. Honorable mentions. Let's run through a couple. I had a whopping 47 some odd movies on my list. So I'm not going to run through them all right now, but some other movies that were not quite Listomania that I would love to shout out. Annie, get your gun. I got to see this during the TCM Virtual Classic Film Festival. And oh my gosh, it is such a great musical, great songs, made me forget that I find Howard Keel to be incredibly boring. And Betty Hutton's face, every time she looks at him, is pretty much what I've been doing every time I see Roger Daltrey in Listomania. Some other ones that I included, Kind Lady, this was one I literally watched at the 11th hour with Eileen McMahon and Basil Rathbone where Eileen McMahon is a wealthy single woman whose house is taken over by an evil, evil rifter played by Basil Rathbone. That and if you amazing. think I want to see Basil Rathbone as like a manipulative, like Rebecca-esque swoony leading man, this'll definitely hit the spot. Love uh, Mary I in that
2: too, <laughs> I have to say.
1: Dogfight, this was another one that I saw during the TCM Virtual Film Festival with River Phoenix. Such a great movie. If you have not seen it, I recommend it. Elvis, that's the way it is, the documentary. I got to see this on the big screen actually at a drive-in and I had a lot of fun watching Elvis Presley make out with random women. This was great to watch during the height of the pandemic and be like, oh yeah, Elvis definitely would have gotten COVID if this was modern days. Backstreet from 1961 with John Gavin our favorite Big Dumb Baby. This is a movie that is also defies explanation for its plot. It's utterly insane and I loved it. And the last one, Wicked Stepmother. This was another TCM Underground movie that I caught with Betty Davis directed by Larry Cohen that has such a convoluted, utterly nightmarish backstory to it. But it is so
0: fun and weird.
1: This was a year I discovered just really weird movies that I thoroughly had fun with. So Kim, what were your honorable mentions?
0: Larry Cohen, those are an experience. Zigzagging through my list a little bit. Big Hand for the Little Lady. It was a 1966 Western. I watched during my Kevin McCarthy phase, but got Joanne Woodward. She's delightful in it. It's a good Henry Fonda role. The Cane Mutiny. I first time watched this year and loved every second of that film. The Maze, if we're talking about my good, bad movie phase. If you're the Richard Carlson fans out there, you know where you are. If you haven't seen this, make sure you have. The Brain Eaters, sticking with the good, bad ones. Going a little bit more modern, Valley Girl in 1983. I talked about that was one of my all-time favorites of the year in a Nicolas Cage movie that I fell head over heels in love for. And wrapping up, Bluebeard from 1972, a Richard Burton, zany, weird Richard Burton film. And then to bring it all close with an actor, Peter Scolari, who is my current discovery that I'm falling head over heels for in Soft Boys, 2022 mm-hmm. is
1: not going to be much different than 2021. <laughs> Samantha, what about you? A couple of, do you have
2: any honorable mentions? I do. I'm going to try to lighten this up a little bit, but my top 10 is even more, not even more depressing, but more depressing movies. I saw the original Waterloo Bridge for the first time this year, which I loved. I love that one. I was surprised by how much I liked it because... The 1940 is probably in my top like 20 films of all time. I just love that movie so much. Design for Living, the ultimate thruple movie. I saw a lot of Miriam Hopkins this year. I saw like eight of her movies because she was star of the month in January. Idiot's Delight, which is a really crazy, zany, Norma Shearer, Clark Gable Never would have expected about half the things that happen in that movie. <laughs> Moon Over Miami is a big one. That almost made my top three. Leon Shamroy, my favorite cinematographer. It's just a beautiful film to watch. And seeing Betty Grable in that gorgeous, gorgeous early 40s, 20th century Fox Technicolor. And those costumes and that red lipstick that I want to know where she got it from. I need to know where she got it from. (laughs) The Scarlet Pimpernel. My sister loves Leslie Howard way more than I do. But it was still so much fun. I love Merle Oberon. And let's see, I'm going to round this out with The Great Ziegfeld, which is such a me movie that it's insane that I haven't seen it before now. Because it's, you know, mid to late 30s. All of My Favorite Actors. It, that one was that just is a young movie. movie it, it really is. The opulence. Louise Reiner. I am on such a big Louise Reiner kick. Probably will be for a long time. She deserved her Oscar. I'm just saying. She deserved both both of her Oscars. I will die on that hill. We'll talk about that at a different time. I'm looking at Kristen's <laughs> face going, there's Santa so works. many
0: opinions.
1: <laughs> Again, you can read our full shortlist. We're going to be doing them up. They are... Available over at TicklishBiz.com, our shiny new website. So you can read more about all of the movies that we've talked about here, as well as the numerous other movies that we love that we could not mention. As always, you can send us your top three or five or ten or however many you want, classic film discoveries. You can always email them to us at TicklishBiz at gmail.com or leave them to us on Twitter at Ticklish underscore Biz. So that's going to close out this episode. We are so excited to bring another season of Ticklish Business to you. We have some great episodes coming up. If you want to find out about stuff in advance, please head over to patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. Not only do you find out about our topics early, you also get access to special pins, movies. A bunch of our patrons got some great care packages over the holidays, as well as a bunch of bonus episodes. We have a whole bonus series based on a true podcast, as well as double features. And we have interviews and a bunch of other great episodes that we're planning as the year progresses. That's patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. And we are on all of the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, ticklishbiz. Please follow us and subscribe to those as well. And if you are listening to this podcast and you like us and you want to help us, please consider leaving us a rating or review on either Apple Podcasts or now Spotify. You can leave ratings there as well. Both of those really help us out as well wherever you are listening to your podcasts we are also on audible stitcher radio all of that stuff so you can definitely follow us there we will be back next time with a new episode to